0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, twenty four. See participating retailer for details.
1: Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the Eight Side Network. Chris Berman joins us on Sports Byline. Chris, of course, is one of the founding fathers of ESPN. Has been an anchor for Sports Center on ESPN since nineteen seventy nine joining a month after its initial launch and hosted the network's Sunday NFL Countdown program from 1985 to 2016. And he has also anchored Monday Night Countdown, U.S. Open Golf, the Stanley Cup Finals, and other programming on ESPN and on ABC Sports. Also, he calls play-by-play for Major League Baseball games for ESPN, which included the Home Run Derby until 2016. He is a six-time honoree of the National Sports Media Association's National Sportscaster of the Year Award, and he was instrumental in establishing ESPN's lasting popularity during the network's formative years. And in 2017, ESPN announced that Chris would be stepping down from several NFL-related roles at the network, but would remain at the company. You know, you hear all of that, Chris, about your life and your career what amazes you the most about what you've done and accomplished?
2: Well, first of all, I just thought you were reading that about somebody else, Ron. <laughs> you know, uh, and you and I have known each other just about, if not 79, certainly 1980 or 81. So right. uh, I didn't realize either of us were that old. <laughs> what amazes me the most? Now, that's actually a good... Uh, I'm not amazed that ESPN made it. I mean, that's a longer discussion, if, if you will. It sounds like easy to say now, but you and I know what the, the landscape in our business was in '79, '80, '82, '83. But I, I, I'm, I'm amazed that cable and ESPN made it that big, that quickly. I'm not, I'm not implying that I'm big, or, but in, by '19. 90 again that's ancient history to a lot of people no one thought that cable would be on a rocket ship you know and and espn being one of the dare i say pilots uh we weren't alone um we started in 79 cnn 80 um you know you could go down the list but but I, I think that we got that established from an idea that people scoffed at and dismissed, I mean, until they said, you know, it's actually fun to watch, um, that it got that big that fast, or cable grew that big that fast. I. Other than that, I don't want to sound like a company trumpet, and then I'll be quiet here for your next one, but... You know what it's like to be around. You don't have to be young by birth certificate. You can be young at heart. But young, energetic, we really all feel we're working for the same thing. We all like sports. It's like we all enjoy this. So there's a commonality in conversations in the hallway among the 80 people at the beginning or even four or five years in, 300 people, you know. Even if someone's in programming and, and someone else is a camera person and I'm Chris Berman on the air, we all kind of, you can talk sports. It's almost it. It's like listening to the same song. And so when you put together creativity, energy, a sense of purpose, and fun, you know, living it, I'm not surprised that we went forward like that but there were a lot of other factors around us that aided us in the speed in which it did. But it, it, I look back at that. I cannot see somebody, Ron, yourself included, you know, from far away at Bay Area. But, you know, we knew each other. Um, I, I can't see anyone that I worked with in the 80s and 90s and not smile. Like, even if they don't work with us and I, and I see them somewhere, you know. And that's a good feeling, isn't it?
1: It sure is. Let's go back a little bit. Uh, you grew up in Irvington, New York. You graduated from Brown University with a degree in history, and you were also the sports director of the school's radio station, WBRU. Where did the bug bite you for both broadcasting and sports?
2: Before that, um, uh, you know, we all play sports in high school, and then that's the end of the road. You know, we're we're not good enough to go on. We're good enough to think we are for about a week, and then, You know, so I knew, I thought I knew 12, 14, 15, like this would be fun. Okay. And then we even had a little radio station at Hackley school in Tarrytown, New York, which if you screwed in the light bulb, you could hear it, you know, (laughs) um, but you know the way that goes, but I played goalie on the varsity soccer team, but I didn't play football, which might surprise people. But so I announced the football games at home. We had a little line there and, uh, you know, a road, you put it into your cassette recorder and you played it, and maybe 30 people heard it. So what? Now you go to Brown, which now at the time, uh, not every university in fall of 1973 uh, had a very powerful radio station. And uh, I mean, everybody had a radio station, but there were varying degrees, right? So WBRU in Providence was 50,000 watts. So that's real. Um, and I got involved with that right away, not to take a course. I majored in history, American history. Um, and I knew that, boy, this is really fun. And so that progressed, and, and then you end up calling the last couple of years the, the football and the basketball, even some baseball, just for fun. Football was listened to, and they, we had a road game, and uh, for sure. And, um, and I had the bug, and I knew I wanted to do it, and... and, and As you know, in 1977, of May when I graduated, the the avenues. Oh, I want to be on TV. Yes, so does everybody. But other than you're not going to land a team's job, and they're not like it is now. A lot of teams might be on TV baseball, let's say twice a week, right, Ron? So, um, and there weren't everybody's local cable. So that every little area had their own regional sports. You were trying to get on. If your if your goal was to be TV, it was really the six and the eleven somewhere on a weekend or on you know at a certain size market. Well, you don't start there. You start small radio. So I worked in radio in Rhode Island and Connecticut, a year at each stop, which was great. And then I luckily at 24 got on TV in Hartford on the weekends, the NBC affiliate. Only Saturday and Sunday. So, in other words, I had to keep my radio job. They needed... It was a part-time gig. And um paid $23 a show on Saturday night and $23 on Sunday night. And that was the after minimum. And I, I earned it. So ESPN was in Connecticut. It was about to start. I heard about it. I went over for an interview. And... Okay. I said, Well why don't you just rather than a tape, I've only been on a couple of months, just tune in on the weekend, see what you think. And they got back to me and said, Would you like to be our junior member? You know, we have essentially to do the show at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Eastern at which is twelve out west and about ten, twelve minutes, it's all sports and then say goodnight. And well, where do I sign up? And I was at the right place at the right time. I was 24, I had long hair, I had a mustache, as you did in the late 70s. And they were too foolish to get rid of me. Now I'm 63. <laughs> so, But the bug was young. Um, and who knew what opportunities would happen, Ron? So um, I, other than a little bit of the football show, which was rudimentary at the time, I pretty much was the late guy. I had fans on the West Coast if I went out there that I figured nobody's watching. Well, those are the ones who were watching. The East, I was a mystery. What do you do for a living? How come I never seen you, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> unless you're feeding the baby, you're not up at 2.30, right? Uh, so, um, but it's worked out okay.
1: We have about a minute before we have to break here. As you indicated, you got on television on weekends at uh, Hartford's WVIT television as a weekend anchor. And in the minute that we have here, you go back and if you look or you think about those early television broadcasts of you, what is it that makes you smile and frown about those?
2: Well, the frown is obvious. I mean, you don't really know how you looking at the camera. Am I looking down? Am I looking? Oh, my God, I can't read the teleprompter. That was an interesting one. But if I look back early, I see that I loved it. If, if I watch those, here's a young kid that loved it and and I wasn't trying to over overshow it not a not a expression but you know wasn't trying to act it I anyone watching would at least see I'm having a good time I'm trying to get it right and I've got and I'm enthusiastic about it um over the top some yeah maybe uh but it wasn't an act especially when you're on every day they can see through that and I'm kind of proud of that Anybody, I know we're going to go, break your, anyone that says if you really boil it down, you changed a whole lot from your early few years to your, I think that would be false. And I I wouldn't be happy with that. I hope that's not the case.
1: Chris Berman has joined us on Sports Byline. Of course, everybody knows him as Boomer. And when we come back on the other side, we'll talk about those early years of ESPN, their grounding philosophy. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast.
3: In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting
0: bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit.
3: Derek Hamilton was put away for murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation
1: in law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom.
3: Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars.
1: We never knew we had the same cop in the case.
0: It's Garcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves.
3: I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.
1: Chris Berman has joined us here on Sports Byline USA. Of course, he started uh, early in the early days of ESPN. Chris, when you think back, what would they tell you? at the very beginning of ESPN was the philosophy. What were they trying to do with ESPN?
2: Well, in my specific job, uh, Ron, being an anchor of this new show called Sports Center, which is nowhere near what we see now, um, this was going to be a bridge between, uh, in most every case, taped sporting events. But you were going to do the equivalent, at least for my job, of the nightly news, which, you know, Walter Cronkite, I mean, I'm not trying to compare me or any of us to him, but in other words, Walter Cronkite had a half hour and he did all the news in the world, right? As we remember. You guys, once we were into year two, all the shows were 30 minutes. Um, you, or gals, but, but you, you guys are doing just sports news for 30 minutes. And... Deliver it the way you deem fit, but but be clear, be accurate, and, and and people are tuning in because you're tomorrow's newspaper, and you're just doing sports. So, boy, it, it was like a kid in a candy store, Ron. Because like I said, you mean just sports in 30 minutes? Walter Cronkite only gets 30 minutes to do the entire world. So that was what. We were, and don't worry about what time you're on because if you're on at at the midnight, that's nine out west, and there's people in Hawaii or or what have you, right? So, the philosophy was, sports fans are tuning in to watch it. They don't have anything like this. It's a national sports report. You can be tomorrow morning sports page. We got pictures. In
1: in the early days,
2: not that many pictures, right? Right, but. but and you were a part of it. You were, I mean, you you were you were one of our quote stringers on uh, the NFL story line by line, which is a whole other story. But yeah. um, just we're giving a national report. How cool is that?
1: One of the really things, one of the things, Chris, that I remember is in those early days, is there was a lot of rodeo and lumberjack games on the air. <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> if you look back in retrospect, uh, uh, Ron, uh, yes, there were. Okay, 24 hours. You you don't have money. You're not going to get the rights to anything substantial. Not 24 hours times seven days a week, right? So, but here's what I will say, and then I'll I'll branch off to it. All the stuff we had on wasn't slapstick comedy. Now, you and I may not care about rodeo or... um, the midget car racing or whatever they called them and I don't mean tattoo you know I mean I mean you know the small whatever it was. but those were legitimate competitions for those who cared about that sport there was a winner and something happened and let's see it now um the early days our biggest stuff well college basketball became something for us remember even in the 80s the games weren't on. The early rounds, even of the tournament weren't on, let alone a Tuesday night game in the Metro Conference, which was one of our early conferences with Louisville, right? Let's say they were in the Metro then. By the way, they had Daryl Griffith, by the way, they won the national title. If you got ESPN, you saw them about seven times on Tuesday nights against you know Memphis State or St. Louis or whoever was in the league at Drake, whoever was in the league at the time. So we had college Hoop. We had Sports Center. Um, we had Canadian Football League, where Warren Moon was playing then for Edmonton. We had the sport that became most popular from the early days. Like we laugh, but not at this Australian Rules Football. Remember? Yep. Uh, Thirty-six guys on a field at the same time. You have to be kidding me. With the ref with the hat, and um, people liked it. So. Were they flocking to it? No. But again, how many channels were on at that time? If you bought cable, you got a maximum of 36. Well, we're the only ones showing any sort of competition or something. And we had taped college football. Yes, the games were played two days earlier, and here they are. But you didn't see them, did you? You didn't see North Carolina against Clemson living in the Bay Area. So on Tuesday night, you're home. Uh, You know who won. But put it on for an hour. Enjoy yourself. And that's kind of the way we did it. Um, But if you're going to announce me, did I ever announce darts? The answer, yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let me go back a little bit here because, uh, as you pointed out already, 1979 ESPN launches. But when you look back over the expanse of time from 1979 to where we are today, What was the moment when sports and entertainment came together? Because it used to be just, you know, this is the score, this is the highlights, and then it crossed over and it became a sports entertainment business.
2: Well, that's a good question. I don't know if there's a moment. Um, I think because cable partly, because air travel 80s, the country was obviously not uh, literally was becoming smaller, right? You you had slowly but surely some access to games in different parts of the country. or And so I don't know that it was entertainment, but other than a score in the agate, um, and let's go to Major League Baseball. I mean, other than score in the agate of a West Coast score, if you're living in I don't care if it's New York, New Orleans, or, or um, you know, Minnesota, the West Coast games, Giants, Dodgers, you get them a day later in an agate. Oh, they won Tuesday night. Well, it's Thursday morning, right, in the newspaper. Well, you might get it from us. So that's not quite the question you asked, but I would say, It it started to be a more form of entertainment and daily discussion uh, of more than just your home team. I'm talking at the workplace, at schools, what have you. And so we were a part of that. For us, it's a a question you're probably going to come to and ask, but I'm going to this as an answer. You know, the NFL was, if it wasn't King right away when we went on it, it certainly became, and you know, and baseball was huge too, and still is. But for our network, in 1987 we got rights to the NFL, meaning it was a Sunday night game, only the last eight weeks of the season, and we got to start this show called NFL Primetime. Now, uh, But what I'm trying to tell you is, when pro football came to us, they were looking at Wow, this is going to go into some places, and, and it's going to be on. And, and we're not even everybody. We're going to have another national game and stuff. And then by then, we were it was entertainment. I, I'm dancing around it because not because I, I I want to. I I don't know the answer, but when we put football on in 1987, it was certainly. It was entertainment for us, and we had hit the big time. Um, I just think the coverage of sports, which you've been a part of, uh, and the shrinking of the country in quotes, all aided to it being more entertaining as that decade went on. I don't know if you agree or not.
1: Well, we have 90 seconds before we have to break. But, you, uh, you know, when you take back and go back to 1993, you were described as the leader of the ESPN team and one of the most recognizable sportscasters in the business. That can be a very heavy mantle to be able to, to carry. But you always carried it gracefully. How hard was it for you?
2: Well, it, it's hard if you try to be someone you're not. And that doesn't mean that everybody thought I was great or good or Enjoyed it, or God, that guy's too loud, or I wish he'd, although everybody loved the nicknames and that kind of stuff, but everybody is not a hundred percent. it It wasn't hard because i I felt I was talking to me. People like me, and people who watched us and worked with us were like me. Now, for whatever reason, I might have moved toward the front of the aisle uh... Front of you know the front of the stage, uh, not did make me better than anyone else, but it I certainly had a a, a, a a platform and you know was the football guy and got to do baseball and I was on Sports Center every night, so if I was the quarterback, I accepted it, but it I accepted it on behalf of people that felt about sports the same way as me. They just may have not been on the air. That sounds like a corny answer. But you're going to have to believe that, that that's what I felt, and I felt I was speaking for everybody in the building. So I if I took a couple extra shots, that's fine. But in most cases, hey, I know your station. I know that guy. I was proud to wear it. I didn't look for that job.
1: Chris Berman with us. And when we come back on the other side, we'll talk about his style, his catchphrases, and his nicknames for players. And I can just tell you that Keith Oberman once said, the true test is when Chris is on, turn down your TV, and open your window. You will hear him. The microphone is nothing but a prop. And also ESPN executive Norby Williamson said he is our most important person. He is the face of ESPN. That is not something that's easy to carry, but I can tell you having... You know, watched Chris for all these years. He did it with great grace.
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every
1: home run, every hit,
0: every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
3: In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away.
0: There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice.
3: That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit Derek Hamilton was put away for murder by Detective Scarsella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation.
1: And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom.
3: Derek. And other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars.
1: We never knew we had the same cop in the case. It's We got to show that
0: he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves.
3: I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.
1: Chris Berman has joined us here on Sports Byline USA. Let me ask you about your style. Everybody has one. I don't know how it comes about, but when you look at your style, how do you think it was developed?
2: Well, uh, it, first of all, honestly, I'm an excitable boy, to quote Warren Zevon. Um, and but it was de- it was developed because we had airtime unlike anyone else. So, as we talked about earlier in the program, Ron, we so I'm on at two thirty in the morning, right, for the first three four years, doing a half hour sports. That doesn't mean you have slapstick comedy or or slap an egg on your face. Uh, But, uh, you know, you're a little bit giddy anyway at that time, right? So um, we were just youngsters having a good time. My style was always upbeat and energetic. I think knowledgeable. I tried to do my homework and still do it that way. You want to make sure you pronounce the names right. You ask questions. And... Understand that not everybody roots for the same teams that you do, but they root for a team. And so be respectful of them. They're watching. They want to hear how their team did. Um, and and so a lot of it was, though, that I had all this time. And if you're trying to make a name for yourself in this business, they, and you're on every night, which I pretty much was, they're going to see through you if you're not you. Now, they may not like. The, the, what he, 100% aren't going to like exactly you. They would do it differently. Look, Bob Lee and I are two different people. I have the utmost respect for him, and I've worked with him for, for 39 years. He and I, in the hallway, would be different, right? So he's him, and I'm me. Doesn't make one better than the other, makes one different. You do it in the best way. You You, you, you be yourself. And part of myself was... Being on at that time at night, a couple of nicknames slipped out. Now, we used to nickname baseball players for fun when we were at college. You know, we were sports fans, read the box score, have a beverage. Yeah, I'm sure it was Perrier. I'm sure it wasn't anything else. <laughs> um, and a couple of them, in, the, in this specific case, to my style, a couple of them in 1980 just came out by accident at 2.30 in the morning. Either Frank Tanana Dackery. <laughs> or uh, uh, John Mayberry RFD, okay. though, I know it's one of those two because they go back to Brown, right?
1: And I almost, I almost thought
2: in my head, you just said a four-letter word. Like, what are you doing, right? But it's quarter to three. You did it, and I got in my ear the little earpiece we wear. The producer went, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was pretty much like that. And then we, you know, I continued the segment and finished and went to a commercial and. The camera person was laughing. And I went, okay, maybe it's not so bad. And why don't we try a couple the next night? And it was organic. You know, the other, various other things of what's known as my style, it all comes from enthusiasm. You could go all the way or back, back, back it was really Red Barber, Ron. And that was his um, uh, his call of um of Al Jean Frito's catch of Joe DiMaggio in 1947, that that was not his catch. I wasn't trying to do a catchphrase. Uh, he went back, goes to John Fried back. He makes a one-handed catch against the bullpen. You've heard it a million times. I heard that on the radio one night driving home, and you know, as a tape of old sports. Well, yeah, I'm going to try back, back, back tomorrow night. If it's no good, I won't do it. So, a lot of this was we had. We had the canvas to paint. Some of our paintings were finger paintings. They weren't Rembrandts. But as time goes, we all become better. and We all have to be a self-judge of ourselves. And that kind of stuff's good. Or, Chris, you know, that kind of stuff's not that good. So I kept throwing it out there, and people kept liking it. In the end, that's, we're in the entertainment business, aren't we?
1: no doubt about that and the one thing i will tell you is only one person can be an original and you were an original And we all know after that people started doing the same thing the one two that i like was rumbling bumbling stumbling
2: well it's descriptive right now that's on the football highlights like you know somebody gets hit at the line of scrimmage or let's say there's a fumble right and i would imitate keith jackson a fumble, right and and a big defensive lineman picks it up and heads toward the end zone. Well, what else would you describe if you're not looking at me, rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, because that's about what they did. Oh, my God, I got 18 yards to score my first touchdown since I was in Pop Warner, you know, and that's about what it was. Um, But a lot of those things in the, quote, sound effects are just kind of having fun with it. As long as you do it when they do it, and as long as you don't, do it for the main purpose to be noticed now yes i'm noticed for it but i'm doing it because everybody's having a good time doing it not because i'm um, look at me i'm chris Berman. i said rumbling bumbling stumbling or you know he could go all the way or what's funny popular in the last 15 years and with young people now they they always say can he say it say what you know I mean whoop yep they love that well that's the three stooges <laughs> so yeah i some of the stuff i invented my own but some is just let it roll and a lot of it'll be enjoyable and, and use those
1: you adopted the persona of your alter ego the swami uh, to make predictions on sunday night nfl countdown and i always thought that that was creative and i knew it was natural and everything that you ever did was natural. It wasn't false in any particular way. But tell me a little bit about the development of the Swami.
2: Well, right. how it began is easy. It was another product of, of us having a lot of airtime and two little uh, uh, tools to work with, right? So it goes back to the early days um, on the fall in 1979, the late show. like a prediction of three or five games it mixed with a little bit of of a couple of items of pro football. And then, and therefore here for week four in the NFL, I picked you know, Detroit 20, Green Bay 10 and so forth. And we did it on Friday nights, um, which was the right way to do it. And it became a little group effort. It wasn't, Something that said, hey, you want to do pro football for five minutes? So This, this was part of the show that we did at night. And back then, I talked to the graphics folks. I said, look, if I'm picking Tampa Bay and you want to put the score in orange or the team name in orange, go ahead. You know, you want to put the Vike Minnesota in purple, go ahead. You have fun with this segment, even though it's not, quote, format. Audio guy, I, I would tell, uh, you know, so Linda was, the Linda was, uh, you know, Tyron, or as we called it, graphics. Audio, Dick, you know, you want to, when I make this, you want to put it in reverb for five seconds, even though you're not supposed to do that? Like, let's just see how that goes if we're making some big upset pick this week of whoever it was. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Okay. Uh, even a couple camera moves. Why don't we do this until I get to the picks and then you know, hold it still? But if you want to not make it shaky, but in other words, everybody felt part of it behind the scenes. We were having fun. And I think the second or third year I did it, well, that was the 49er here in 81 with Montana and Dwight Clark and et cetera. And I had an unbelievable year record just because I picked the 49ers every week nobody believed in them I did for some reason and my percentage was unbelievable and then I had a following it didn't mean I was better or smarter or whatever than Jimmy the Greek hell no but I had a good year early and then I had a different following now of course you're not 68% every year are you no So, but that's how it began and it became my kind of Newspaper column ending in predictions every week for 38 years on the NFL. It it, it was another organic start is what I'm trying to
1: say. I've got a lot of questions, and I want to get to as many as I can possibly get to. But one of the things that you did so well, and this is me as a professional, having witnessed it and having an understanding of it, is no matter what sporting event you were doing or if you were in the studio, you made your broadcast partners in the broadcast effort uh, comfortable, and you also, you know, didn't try to overwhelm them in any particular way. And as big a personality as you were, I always admired and respected that. How did you pull that off?
2: Well, thank you for that. And I, coming from someone who's been in the business that long, I, I really appreciate that. Um, you, especially if you have uh analysts, look, they know tons more than you on the playing of the game. But if the analyst has a bad show, um, it's not a good show. It's not about, look at how good I am, and then, okay, they're on for 35 seconds or whatever. No. so Because, and I think you know because you're in the business to do it, a conversation between two or more people on the air, right, is then a conversation that kind of includes the person watching at home. If it's a comfortable conversation that they're watching, the person can't speak watching you on the TV in their living room or where have you, but they feel a part of it. And and I thought that, and the Sports Center shows that we did, the two of us. A back and forth, it's a team effort. It's just like sports. So it's not about, oh, I was better than him or her that night. No, no, a group, if We. a conversation and a group effort is going to be so enjoyable. Why would you work against it?
1: And let me ask you, with the three minutes that we have left here, over your years of covering sports, talking to athletes, talking to owners, what sense of appreciation do you have for what they do, because, uh, you know, nobody can relate to hitting a 95-mile-an-hour fastball or hitting a clutch three-pointer, and you've had an opportunity to interact with people that do that. What sense of appreciation do you have on that, Chris?
2: I think in a lot of cases, Ron, they're sports fans, not 100%. You know, some follow their sport, but they're not you know, necessarily hockey fans, for example. But I think in the end, a really good athlete, just like a really good doctor or lawyer or teacher or what have you, um, enjoys a little form of entertainment. And and the athlete who's playing also enjoys their sport and other sports as a form of relaxation. And they can see who's got an angle, if you're on every night like we were, and who, who has an axe to grind and who doesn't over time, right? So... I think through the screen, we, not only me, but a lot of the folks at our network earned the trust of those playing the games. I really feel out of my heart that, that we understood not how to, you know, run off tackle, but respected what they did. And they foul up like we do on the air. If you point it out in a fair way, that's fine. Um, I think they understood that we respected how good they were and what they were trying to do. And it wasn't genuflecting, but it was just be fair. And I think that shines through the set. Again, we had the pulpit every night. That was unusual. We have about 40
1: seconds left. And I know this is a difficult question, but as you think back over your career, all that you've seen, uh, is there any one particular moment that's engraved in Chris Berman's mind?
2: Well, I mean, there are many, obviously, but I'll go to one. Uh, that was, I was fortunate enough to be the voice along with Buck Martinez and, and in the stadium when Kyle Ripken um, broke Lou Gehrig's unreachable star, you know, of 2,130 games played consecutively. And that was uh, September 6, 1995. There's a lot more to it than that. We have a short time. But, but if you want to say one thing, that was more than sports. It was more than baseball. It was like America. There was somebody packing his or her lunch every day and going to work. Yes, it's baseball. It's not the coal mine. But reporting into work every day, doing the best he or she can and then and then never calling in sick and just doing it even when you didn't feel great. And that night I still get goosebumps thinking about it.
1: I want to thank you, Chris, for your friendship, but uh, it's been a long friendship and one I respect and I admire, and I appreciate the time. Take care, my friend, and let's get together if you come through San Francisco.
2: I look forward to it. Thanks, Ron. Always a pleasure being with you.
1: Chris Berman. Again, Chris, one of the founding fathers of ESPN. He has been an anchor for Sports Center on ESPN since 1979. Of course, he has been honored a number of times as an outstanding sportscaster. I'm Ron Barr. We continue on America's Sports Talk Show. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8-Side Network.
0: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton.
2: Scarcella took me to the precinct
1: and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Garcella finally tells his story, and so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.